Over the past few weeks, we've looked at two very important theories for investment managers. We have looked at Markowitz's modern portfolio theory, and we've looked at the capital asset pricing model first introduced by Bill Sharp. But we're now going to change the focus. Rather than think about the theories, we're actually going to think about how you apply those theories to the real world and see why they are very useful to investment managers in their everyday activities. In this video, we're going to focus on the characteristics of stock returns. Both modern portfolio theory and the capital asset pricing model are built around utility functions. And here is the main utility function that we focused on, and indeed the one that Markowitz and Sharp were thinking about in their derivations. According to this utility function, investors like expected returns, but they dislike risk. That's why we have the negative sign. Markowitz and Sharp assume that investors are risk averse and that they only consider expected returns and risk when they're maximizing expected utility. And risk is defined in their papers as being variance of returns. How does this match up to reality though? Should investors only think about expected returns and risk that is measured by variance? Well, consider the S&P 500. The average monthly returns on the S&P 500 since 1996 are approximately 0.7% per month. And the variance is 0.18% squared per month. What can we say about any given month's return? Is it equally likely to be above or below the average? Does the S&P 500 experience large jumps in its price? These characteristics, for example, is a given month's return likely to be above or below the average return, or whether the S&P 500 index experiences large jumps in its price, are all related to the characteristics of the return distribution for the S&P 500. Thus far, we have characterized the distribution of stock returns using the first two moments of the distribution. That's going to be the mean, or what you could think of as the expected returns, and the variance. That's the risk. But there are higher order moments to distributions. The third moment is called skewness, and it's a measure of the asymmetry of the distribution. Now, you don't need to know this formula for exams, but you can see why they call this the third moment. When, when we were calculating variance, we looked at deviations from the mean squared. Now we're looking at the third moment, which is deviations from the mean cubed. Here's what I mean by asymmetric distributions. In case one, there is no skewness. The distribution is symmetric around the mean. So here we have the mean value. And you could see that on any given month, in any given month, the returns would be equally likely to be above or below the mean. Now let's consider case two. Here we have negative skewness. In any given month, returns are likely to be above the mean 
because more of the probability distribution is focused above the mean. Now you may think that's a good thing. Each month we're likely to earn more than the average. But the downside of negative skewness is that occasionally there will be very large negative occurrences. So you have to weigh up the pros and cons. Similarly, there's also positive skewness. And in this case, in any given month, returns are likely to be below the average returns. But occasionally, we can earn very large positive returns. You could think of a lottery as being a good example of a positively skewed return distribution. When you buy a lottery ticket, you may pay a dollar or five dollars, depending on the lottery. And the chances are that you will lose that dollar or those five dollars. So on most months or most days, you're likely to lose money. But occasionally, you may win. And you may win $20 or you may win $20 million. This is a positively skewed distribution. And you may think, well, why do we care about this? Well, Sharp and Markowitz assumed that distributions were symmetric for stock returns and that investors had no preferences for skewness. Maybe some people prefer positive skewness. Maybe some people like negative skewness. Their theories don't take that into account. So if stock returns are skewed, then there are limitations to the theories that they have developed. That's why it's important to look at these concepts. The fourth moment of any distribution is called kurtosis. And kurtosis is a measure of the fatness of the tails of a probability distribution. The higher the level of kurtosis, it means the more the standard deviation or the variance is driven by large but infrequent deviations from the mean. You can see we're talking about the fourth moment because we're looking at deviations from the mean to the power four. Again, you can disregard the formulas. You're not going to need them for exams. It's easy to see, it's easier to see what kurtosis is by looking at a picture. And in this diagram, we have two distributions. The distribution drawn with the dashed line has higher levels of kurtosis. In other words, more of the variance for that distribution is driven by infrequent extreme deviations from the mean. We often call this fat tails. We are more likely to see an extreme event, say here, or here. We're more likely to see those events if the distribution of returns is represented by the dashed line relative to the continuous line. This is what we're talking about when we talk about kurtosis. The fatter the tails of the distribution, the more likely it is that we will see extreme events. Some people may have preferences for kurtosis. Some people may have an aversion to kurtosis. 
They may not want to invest in stocks that have higher chances of extreme events occurring. Once again, Sharp and Markowitz don't consider kurtosis. And if investors in reality do have preferences for kurtosis, then their theories are incomplete and they may not fully depict how investors behave. What Sharp and Markowitz had in mind when they were coming up with their theories was the normal distribution. And the normal distribution you would have seen before, probably in high school, probably in university as well. And this distribution is characterized by two moments, the mean and the variance, which is just like the utility functions that Sharp and Markowitz used. Investors only care about expected returns and the variance. In this diagram, I have drawn what is called the standard normal distribution. This is a distribution that has a mean of zero and a variance of one. The skewness of this distribution is zero. The distribution is symmetric around the mean. Here we have a mean of zero. The kurtosis of the normal distribution is three, always. Regardless of the mean and the variance, the kurtosis of the normal distribution will always be three. Often, when you talk with practitioners, they may talk about excess kurtosis. When they talk about excess kurtosis, they're thinking about kurtosis minus three. So they're immediately comparing the kurtosis of a certain distribution to the normal distribution. So excess kurtosis is equal to kurtosis minus three. Now let's move to Excel and see how to calculate skewness and kurtosis in reality. In this spreadsheet, I have S&P 500 prices and I have calculated the returns for the S&P 500 over a period of 139 months. What we've got to do is calculate the mean, variance, skewness, excess kurtosis, and the min and the max returns. This will give us an idea of the return distribution for the S&P 500. And we'll be able to see if that distribution is normal or not. To calculate the mean return, we use the average function that we've seen before. And we'll select the cells for the returns. Here we see the average returns that we discussed earlier in the slides. The average returns per month are going to be equal to 0.7%. The variance is equal to VAR, open brackets, and then we're going from C3 to C140. There we get the same number again that we saw in the slides, 0.18% squared per month. Now, skewness is calculated using the function skew. So skew brackets and then select the range, which is C3 to C140, close brackets. The skewness of the S&P 500 return distribution is minus 0.5. 
This would mean that the monthly return in a given month is likely to be above the mean, but occasionally there are large negative outcomes. What about the kurtosis? Well, in Excel, they automatically calculate excess kurtosis. So there's no need to subtract 3 to compare it to the normal distribution. Excel does that automatically. And the function we're going to use is called curt. Let's select our range, C3 to C140. And the excess kurtosis is 0.6867, which means the raw kurtosis for the S&P 500 distribution must have been 3.6867. Excel has automatically subtracted the 3, which is the kurtosis for the normal distribution. This means the distribution of the S&P 500 returns seems to have slightly fatter tails than the normal distribution, which means we may see more jumps or more large deviations from the mean than we might expect under the normal distribution. But the excess kurtosis seems fairly low. If you saw a number such as 3 or 4 or 6 in the excess kurtosis, that would mean there's a huge chance of jumps relative to the normal distribution. But here for the S&P 500, the excess kurtosis is fairly low. We can also calculate the min and the max to get a feel for this distribution. We use the min function, and we see that the minimum returns in a month were minus 15%, while the maximum returns in any given month were equal to approximately 10%. The returns for the S&P 500 appear to be fairly close to the normal distribution, which is good for Markowitz's theory and for Sharpe's theory. That means their utility function is appropriate and that investors really only care about mean and variance because skewness and kurtosis don't matter. But if stock returns are not normally distributed and investors do have preferences for skewness and or kurtosis, then the utility function that Sharp and Markowitz used is not appropriate, which may mean that the inferences we get from their models are also not appropriate. Well, Fama in 1965 conducted an extensive analysis of return distributions for individual stocks and for the market. And he concluded that at a monthly return horizon, stock return distributions can be well characterized by the normal distribution. But at daily return horizons, Fama found that the returns the return distributions were definitely not normal. They exhibited far too many large deviations from the mean. In other words, there was lots of excess kurtosis. The return distributions had fat tails. Samuelson adopted a different approach and he decided to say, well, maybe stock returns aren't normally distributed. But does skewness and does kurtosis really matter? And in 1970, he showed that the importance of the additional moments, such as skewness and kurtosis, is much smaller than the importance of expected returns and variance. Samuelson also showed 
that variance is just as important as expected returns to investors. Now Samuelson's work relied on the assumption of compactness. And compactness is a mathematical term. Basically, compactness means that the risk of a stock holding will decline if you hold it for a shorter period. And that if you hold the stock for only an instant, then the risk must be zero. We can illustrate this idea by drawing a graph. On the vertical axis we've got stock price and on the horizontal axis we've got time. And we know that if we buy a stock today, it may be at $10, it may wander around, it may follow a random walk. And depending on what happens, the stock could drift either way, it could drift up, could drift down. You may observe either of these two price paths. Now suppose we held the stock for one year. There's a lot of risk here. The price could go up to here, or it could fall to here. If we instead look at six months, the risk has decreased. The price may increase up to this point, or it may decrease to this point. But the risk is lower than it was at one year return horizons. If we think about one day, the risks of holding the stock are much lower than they were holding the stock for one year or for six months. The price cannot move as far. Here is our risk. The price could move up or down, but not by very much compared to what happens at six month horizons or one year horizons. And if we only hold the stock for a second, the risk almost diminishes to zero. Now that's all well and good. That's the assumption of compactness, and it seems reasonable. But occasionally, in reality, compactness can be violated. On the 18th of October in 1987, the stock market fell 25% in just one day. That is not consistent with compactness. That should never have happened if the assumption of compactness is correct. However, that was a one-off event and we have not seen many events around the world that can match that event. So in general, it seems that the assumption of compactness is reasonable. But we have to remember it's an assumption and that just occasionally it will be violated. We can also see whether Samuelson's assumption is reasonable by looking at the S&P 500 returns. Here I've calculated the S&P 500 returns at a monthly return horizon, a weekly return horizon, and a daily return horizon. Compactness says that the variance will decrease as the holding period decreases. And that's what we see. Look at the variance decreasing. We go from 0.18% per month to 0.05% per week to 0.01% per day. The variance is decreasing. We also see what FAMA talked about. At the monthly horizon, excess kurtosis is pretty low. But look what happens. 
as we shorten the return horizon to daily, so we see kurtosis jumping up. The return distribution at the daily horizon has fatter tails. This is exactly what Fama documented in 1965. We also see here that the skewness has gone towards zero. At a daily return horizon, the return distribution is more symmetric around the mean, but there are fatter tails. There is more chance of jumps occurring. So this table here confirms much of what Samuelson was talking about and much of what Fama was talking about. To sum it up, there are four moments that provide an effective characterization of any return distribution. The mean, the variance, the skewness and the kurtosis. But finance theories typically assume that investors only care about mean and variance. That's why it's important for us to have looked at the characteristics of stock returns in reality. If stock returns are skewed or have excess kurtosis, and investors have preferences for these characteristics, then the theories developed by Sharp and Markowitz may have limitations. But in the data that we've looked at, the evidence suggests that the normal distribution is probably a reasonable approximation for return distributions at a monthly return horizon. If we look at shorter return horizons, such as daily, the assumption of a normal distribution is not appropriate. But at a monthly return horizon or at even lower frequency return horizons, such as six months or annual return horizons, then it seems returns are well approximated by the normal distribution, which is good. In investment management, we typically aren't considering what happens on a given day. We're normally looking at months or years in terms of our horizons. But Whenever we're doing our analysis and thinking about how to allocate stocks or thinking about the expected returns that a stock should earn, we have to remember it is based on this assumption of normality. And if stock returns don't follow the normal distribution, we may have some problems or deviations from what we expect to happen. It's important to remember that as we work through the rest of this material. That's all I wanted to cover today. See you in class.